Well, I want to thank Robert for leading us in that time of confession. It is true that at every minute of every day, we are in need of God's mercy and God's grace. And it's good to enter into a time of confession, both individually and also as a church body, because it's easy to lose our place in the story. And confession reminds us of who is at the center and where we stand and where we are located in this grand narrative. One of the things we started last week was this new series talking about this grand narrative, and we're going to look at it in perhaps a unique way for some. And it's my hope that at the end of this series, we will have some more tools in our chest for sharing the good news and taking someone into this story, and especially with those who are searching the scriptures and searching for answers. And it's a series called The Old Testament in Seven Sentences. And it's based on the book by Christopher Wright. And last week we looked at the first sentence, and we took a journey with the Israelites into the Promised Land. So Steve read a passage earlier from Deuteronomy, and Moses is, is giving his last sermons to the people before they enter into this land, and he's warning them. He's telling them about what they're going to encounter and what they're going to find are a thousand different stories, competing stories, stories of gods and goddesses, stories of, uh, that are embedded in, in complex systems of worship and ritual, stories of creation and elaborate explanations for why the world is the way it is. And so the Israelites are going to need a grounding sentence they're going to need something to help them find their way and navigate this world. And we find it in the first sentence, Genesis 1-1. And if you're a searcher this morning, it's always good to start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now there is a lot behind that sentence. And the opening chapters of Genesis really unpack uh, what's going on with God creating the world and bringing order out of this watery chaos, this world that we know today. And as we looked at last week, it was a good beginning. And the creation was good, is good. And it's good because God is good. God created us in His own image as stewards of the creation and he created us as a people who are wired for worship and wired for relationship. We are personal beings. We've been given tasks here on earth. We are called to rule the creation, have dominion over the creation, but also to serve in the creation and work the land. And so throughout Scripture, the people of God are described as a kingdom of priests or a kingdom of and priest. We rule, we serve in the creation. But this morning we're going to turn our attention to the second sentence in this series and it's found in Genesis chapter 12. And I would like us to mark two places. We're going to start off not in Genesis 12, we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 3. So if you want to mark Genesis chapter 3 and mark Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be in both. This second sentence, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, 
And if you expand it out, really, verses 1 through 3, this is one of the great verses of Scripture. And it's one that figures prominently into the New Testament, especially with the Apostle Paul. It is a sentence of great promise. But it's also a sentence that doesn't make a lot of sense if we just skip from Genesis 2 to Genesis 12 because something happens in between. Something profound happens. There's a critical piece of the puzzle in Genesis 3 through 11 uh, that really helps us answer some of the great questions in life. Now, we talked a little bit about certain questions uh, that civilizations seek to answer. The fancy word for these questions our world view, a certain way of looking at the world. And the way you answer these questions really gives you a lens through which you make sense of the world. So how did we get here, is one question. What is here? What is our purpose here in this world? And then this last question What's wrong with the world? And how is it fixed? And I'm sure that all of us, to one degree or another, have been haunted by that last question. We look around us and we know there is something not right. There is something that has gone awry in this world. Now there is goodness in this world and we see it. We experience the goodness and beauty of this creation whenever we stand in the Rocky Mountains, or we go to the oceans, or we stare up in the sky and we see the stars away from Austin, Texas. You have to get a good, good deal away from Austin in order to see the stars. In a few weeks, we're going to be at HEB camp. At least half of us will go out to Lakey, Texas, and some of us are going to hike up to that little gazebo at the top of one of those hills, and we're going to look out at the hill country and take in that breathtaking scene of what God has created. And we look at it and we're in awe and we say, God is, God is good. We see the goodness of creation in these relationships that we have, our friends, our spouses, our children, family. And yet at the same time, overlapping with the beauty of this world is a brutality and an ugliness that we are familiar with. For every rose, there are thorns, there are thistles. We live in a world that is dangerous. We live in a world that invites fear. We live in a world where tornadoes can rip through Nashville and wreak havoc on the people there. We live in a world of tragedy and illness and disease. We live in a world of warring nations and political posturing and power seeking. We live in a world where those same relationships that testify to God's goodness can also be spoiled on a whim and we experience family breakdown and enmity between brother and brother and husband and wife and parent and child. We live in a world where there is pain, physical Emotional, social pain, injustice rules the day. And we don't have to go very far to see it. You turn on the news, 
you go online, or if we're honest with ourselves, we look in the mirror every morning and we explore the dark corners of our own hearts and we entertain the fact that we are prideful as was brought out in our prayer of confession this morning and we wrestle with these spiritual battles every day. And we ask ourselves, what in the world happened? How did we get from Genesis 2, this good, perfect creation where there was harmony between man and God and harmony between man and woman, between one another, to the world that we see today, this world in a fallen state? Well, it comes down to choice. When I was a kid, there was a special genre of books, and I don't know if they still make these or not, but they were called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Do you remember Choose Your Own Adventure Books? Uh, to the children here, do they still have that? Are you familiar with Choose Your Own Adventure? These books are not linear. You actually have choices. I had an Indiana Jones Choose Your Own Adventure book when I was about eight years old. And at the end of the first chapter, you have these choices. If you want to go to South America, turn to page 61. Or if you want to go to Europe and meet somebody there, turn to page 200, whatever it was. And these choices had an effect. They set you on certain trajectories in the story. And there are many different, different options. And sometimes the choices that you made in these books led to good endings. And sometimes they led to very bad endings. And it all... It all came back to those choices that you made. Choose your own adventure. Well, this morning, as we wrestle with that question, what has gone wrong with the world, we really need to go back to a conversation that takes place in Genesis chapter 3, a conversation between Eve and the evil one, because Eve is confronted with her own Choose your own adventure. She has a choice before her, and it's going to set trajectories for the way the world is going to go. And we still feel the effects of the choices that she made and Adam made, who was standing silently beside her. And this choice comes from another voice who, is, who had entered into the story. So up to this point in Genesis 1 and 2, we have heard from God, and we have heard from the first couple, but now, here in the garden, here in the place of innocence, we find a voice of manipulation. Let's read this conversation, let's hear it once again, one of the most profound conversations we will ever read, the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And if you go back earlier, you realize that the evil one is focusing Eve on the prohibition, which God did not start off with a prohibition. God started off with eat from any tree in the garden and then gave the prohibition, but the evil one is setting the focus there on the negative. 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. May God bless the reading of his word. And the rest is, as we say, history. My heart breaks every time I read that, and we could spend weeks on this conversation, taking it apart line by line, and looking at what was behind this, and looking at the rest of chapter 3, and the curses, and the blaming, and the excuses, and the hiding that takes place from God, where before there was no shame, now shame rules the day. And we could go on to the subsequent chapters in Genesis 3-11, through 11, what some call the downward spiral of creation. By the time we get to Genesis 11, we've witnessed what the world is like east of Eden. We get a glimpse of the darkness of the human heart. And we get the full effect of sin. Sin with a capital S. Sin touches every single aspect of the creation. It distorts, it distorts our vision, the way we see each other, the way we see God. It distorts us physically, emotionally, socially. There's enmity now between one another. Sin even reaches its tentacles into the creation itself. When we read Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, he talks about how the creation groans and is in bondage and seeks liberation. We see the effects of that choice made years ago by Adam and Eve. What has gone wrong with the world? Sin. In a word, sin. Our story takes a very dark turn in Genesis chapter 3, and in this choose-your-own-adventure story, Adam and Eve set us on a trajectory that has no good ending. In fact, every scenario that's played out post-Genesis 3 ends up in the same place. Exile from God and exile from one another. And things get so bad in Genesis 3-11 through 11 that there's a point where God is sorry that He made creation. He's sorry that He made humanity. And then He sends the flood. And we get to Genesis 11, and the people are scattered all over the world, and the languages are confused. And now there are these walls, these barriers, this, this new tribalism that has come into play among the people. But for this morning, it's important to note that the fall of mankind and this terrible choice that was made in the story has as its foundation false 
speech. Yes, a fallen world is built on half-truths and manipulation, a conversation from the father of lies whose native tongue is lying, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And a world built on this kind of foundation that is so shaky and tenuous needs a miraculous intervention. Humanity needs new choices. We need a new chapter. We need a new sentence. And that sentence arrives in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. A new choose-your-own-adventure story. Yes, the second sentence in this series, the Old Testament in seven sentences, is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Out of the darkness and out of the downward spiral of Genesis 3 through 11, God sets into motion a new trajectory. I, I read one author this week that said that, that the, whole, the rest of the Bible really answers the questions and the problems that are, are, that are raised in Genesis 3 through 11. And God sets this new trajectory by calling one man out of the comforts and safety of his homeland. And he charges this man to take residence in a foreign land. And this man's name is Abram. And God later changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And we sing that song. I use that term we loosely. I thought about having us stand up and sing Father Abraham this morning. But that thought lasted just one second. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Let's hear these promises once again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you hear a word reoccurring there in those three verses? We'll come back to that word. Before these words, in Genesis 3 through 11, the prospects for humanity were terrible. No matter what root... No matter what choice we made as a people, we would never be able to find our way back to God because of what sin had done to the creation, because of what sin had done to us, the image bearers of God. But in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God intervenes and He puts into play a different scenario, a different outcome for the world to be headed toward. In a sense, God is setting into motion new prospects for a new humanity, a new way to live, a new heart and there's a word that dominates genesis 12 1 through 3 and the word is bless isn't that something in a fallen world that is cursed god now offers us blessing upon blessing upon blessing including that incredible verse at the end of of this section in verse 3 that in Abraham, in Abraham, this old man who is married to this woman who is well past childbearing years, in this man, out of this man, 
all the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham's descendants, Israel, and more specifically, as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, through Abraham's descendant, through his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the curse is going to be reversed. And the age of blessing will come. And we'll see the fruition of this a few sentences down the road in this series. We'll get there. Before this morning, as we close, let's take in these blessings given, given to Abraham. And I would like to, us to hone in on the nature of this second sentence, especially when we set this in contrast with that conversation in Genesis chapter 3 between the evil one and Eve. If we recall, the evil one was offering Eve the choice. She was given a choice to follow and to place her trust in a different voice, a voice that is different from her creator. His sales pitch was full of half-truths and manipulation. But contrast this with Genesis 12. So if a fallen world has its, as its foundation lies and deceit, it is built on that foundation of lies, then God reclaiming a lost world would be born on truth-telling and promise-keeping. And something that is so foundational to God's character, something that we, we just sang about, great is thy faithfulness. That's what holds this whole story together. From Genesis to Revelation, it is God's faithfulness to his promises, something that is on full display in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. With true speech, God creates a world. With true speech, God reclaims a lost world. Now maybe this morning, you come here among the people here at Brentwood Oaks, and maybe you've been part of this congregation for, for decades. Maybe you're coming here for the first time this morning, and you find yourself having bought into the half-truths and the manipulation of a fallen world. Maybe this morning you find yourself trusting in a voice that is not of your Creator, someone else's voice, or maybe even worse, your own voice. Brothers and sisters, we know where that path leads. We know where that choice takes us. That story can only end in exile and brokenness and ultimately eternal judgment. But because of God's faithfulness, because of His grace, because of His mercy, we have been given a new trajectory and a new path to follow and if we choose to follow His voice, if we, if we quit fighting against Him, if we quit pushing up against His voice and submit our ways to His ways and place our trust in the One who is faithful, then just like Father Abraham, God is going to lead us where we need to go and help us be the people that we are called to be. But we do have a choice. 
And so this morning, may we continue to follow and place our trust in the voice of God, the one who called Abraham out of his own country and into this foreign land. And may we as the people here at Brentwood Oaks continue to stand on the promises of God and place our trust in the one who is faithful, who has rescued us through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the empty tomb, and through his spirit that resides within us. Faith is an adventure. May we continue to choose the path that God has given us this morning. If you would like to respond to the good news of God's faithfulness and his grace and his mercy, we invite you to come this morning as we stand and as we sing.